Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators and advisors discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social and governance factors. Welcome to a new episode of Leadership Conversations by TSBR. I'm Frederick Otto, the founder of the Sustainability Board Report. And as always, I'm here with Helena Gudjutsdottir. We long wanted to dedicate an episode specifically to the topic of diversity and inclusion. One of the most important social issues that we are facing right now and very much part of our three favorite letters, ESG. We are lucky enough to feature Karen Loon today. She just published her debut book, Fostering Culturally Diverse Leadership in Organizations, Lessons from Those Who Smashed the Bamboo Ceiling. Karen spends her time between Singapore and Australia and also is our first guest from the Eastern Hemisphere. Helena, would you like to give our listeners a summary of today's episode? Yeah, absolutely, Frederick. I think it was really great to have someone on, first of all, that had such an extensive experience working with diversity and inclusion initiatives. But our conversation today is also about her journey in her career, and our listeners can get a great insight into different approaches that businesses need to take towards diversity and inclusion. Karen also mentions a lot of developments that are happening externally that are influencing the discussion of DNI. She gives a great insight from her personal experience, both in Singapore as well as Australia, and the importance of diverse leadership and creating pathways for people of different backgrounds. I think as well, she gives one of the best synopsis that we've heard so far on what a future-ready board looks like. It's always great to hear the advice of our speaker takeaway. Yeah, very interesting, the various approaches to diversity and the actual difference to inclusion as well. And Luckily, she starts us off with some definition of what that actually means. Also, she is obviously a very experienced business leader, having been a partner of PwC from an early age and currently a non-executive director and diversity expert. Yeah, absolutely. I think without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. On today's episode of Leadership Conversations, we welcome Karen Loon non-executive director, author, and diversity expert. Karen is a recognized thought leader and speaker on workplace diversity and inclusion. She was formerly PwC's Singapore and Asia-Pacific diversity leader and a member of its global diversity leadership team and global financial services diversity steering committee. Under her leadership, PwC won the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's 2017 Embracing Diversity and Inclusion Award. She was also awarded a certificate at the 2017 Singapore Committee for UN Women He for She Awards to recognize her work to promote gender equality in Singapore. Karen regularly shares her views on enhancing diversity with leading organizations and professional and industry bodies in Australia and Singapore. She is also a commentator on governance and cultural matters. Karen, thanks so much for taking the time joining us today. Thank you. Great to speak to you. We always like to get to know our guests a little bit better. So would you like to tell us about your leadership journey, what you are passionate about, and the work that you currently focus on? 
I'm Australian, so you can probably hear that from my accent. I'm actually a chartered accountant by training. I started my career in Australia, but I then moved to Singapore when I was 25 and then eventually made it through to partnership at PwC. And so by training, I'm an auditor. That's what I specialized in and banking, so audited banks. But I also have a real interest and passion for giving back and particularly cultural diversity as well as gender diversity. And the roles I took on in addition to my bank audit roles in Singapore with PwC. Since uh, 2018, I've been a non-executive and I recently authored a book. So um, there's a little bit about me. It's a bit of a a mixture of different things, but my passion is really around people. But I also have that technical training as a chartered accountant. Excellent. And I've told you in the lead up of this episode that we have long wanted to dedicate an episode to diversity and inclusions, a very important as we talk about the S in ESG, diversity and inclusion, a huge part of this. And we will talk about your new book more just in a second. But firstly, would you mind sharing a little bit about the nature of the problem that you are going to talk to us about today? I've done a lot of thinking about this and you know, I've been involved with diversity initiatives on and off for 20 years, both inside my firm and outside. And it's really, some would probably say it's a wicked problem. It's one of those societal problems like, you know, many areas in ESG, which you can't resolve easily. And maybe I I can perhaps define what we mean by diversity and inclusion first. So diversity is really around what makes us unique. Diversity, it's about our backgrounds, our personality, experience and beliefs. And of course, these shape our our views. But inclusion is really around how we bring all of those different perspectives together. So how do we make sure that all the people in the organization or the team belong? And so I think you can look at diversity and inclusion from many different angles. And and perhaps I, I can share a little bit by why I think it's important for business. And we do talk a lot. I mean, a lot of the commentary about diversity and inclusion is around the business case for diversity. But I think it's also around the right thing to do, which is very much aligned, I think, to what we're trying to do in in ESG. And so I think there are three external developments that are actually taking place. They're actually influencing the discussion. And there's a lot of discussion now on on DNI. I think the first one is really, if we look from a business perspective, all companies need growth, economic growth. And human capital is so important today for our businesses. We're looking for new workers, new customers. The demographics are changing. I think it's very interesting to look at how talent's flowing around the world, particularly since Brexit and, you know, since the changes in the governments in the US. For example, in my own home market in Australia, we're looking for skilled migrants. I know in the UK, they're looking for skilled migrants. And I think skilled migrants are looking for career opportunities. Talent people have many opportunities to travel around the world. But in practice, it's actually really hard for people who are different to go to different markets. So in my own market in Australia, roughly 3% of the leaders have Asian backgrounds and there's a population of probably 15% plus of Asian backgrounds there. So, you know, there's some big gaps and that's, I think, important. We need to try and leverage talent. Second one, obviously, ESG. We're talking a lot about how investors are focusing on ESG, particularly on the profile of the boards and the profile of the people in the organizations. And I think the rules are changing with more disclosure and markets are changing as well. Final thing I think that's important, there's a lot of social movements in the last few years, you know, whether it's because of Black Lives Matters, the Asian hate crimes, and people themselves, the people we're trying to attract, are actually looking for organizations where they belong. At the same time, I think they also want to be able to bring themselves to work, 
but you know many are also feeling quite disengaged because of the great resignation and they're quitting. So I think there's many lenses and ways we can look at why diversity and inclusion is important to business. And I actually think it's important that we look at it from different angles, not just societal or business or individual. I actually think we need to look at it from an ecosystem approach like we do for many things for ESG. Great. And I always enjoy talking to authors very much, especially those who are writing books based on personal experience. You have just released your debut book, Fostering Culturally Diverse Leadership in Organizations, Lessons from Those Who Smash the Bamboo Ceiling, a term that I've heard for the first time, to be honest. But in regards to your personal experience, having grown up in Australia with Asian heritage and moving through the corporate world, when did you realize you wanted to write this book and what are you hoping to achieve? So um, most people have heard of the glass ceiling, but there are many other different ceilings that people talk about. Bamboo ceilings are ones that people with Asian backgrounds say they experience because they're often perceived as, as quite technical, maybe nerdy, doing maths and not necessarily viewed as being leaders, in particularly in Western organisations. And I've even heard of concrete ceilings, which others talk about. But it's very much a personal journey. I'm actually fourth generation Asian Australian, and that's pretty unusual. Basically, all my grandparents were born in Australia, despite the fact that I'm full Chinese from an ethnicity perspective. So I grew up in a very Australian environment. And to me, my culture didn't really factor in my life until actually after I came back to Australia from after being in Singapore about 17 years so this was about 10 years ago. And maybe I'd been you know, very used to working in a very multicultural environment in Singapore where I was part of the majority. And then I came back to my own market and realized that you know, the, there was more to be done to increase the leadership diversity in Australia from a cultural perspective. So I've been trying to do what I can within the organizations I work in, but I actually went back to INSEAD, uh, recently did an executive master's in change. And I decided to do my own research because I couldn't find any books as a diversity leader that actually helped me to understand what some of the challenges were, nor what could we do as leaders to increase the cultural diversity. That thesis then turned into a book over COVID and now it's out. So it's very much been a bit of a personal journey, but it's been shaped by my personal experience as an Australian, Asian Australian leader, as well as my experience trying to lead programs in diversity and then I've tried to also do my own research to look at the experiences of Asian Australians as well. So I've tried to look at it from different angles, which I hope is a, a different way of looking at it and provides uh, people some opportunities to think through it differently. I would like to talk a little bit more about the cultural diversity piece, because most of us or most of our listeners would hopefully have a basic understanding of what diversity and inclusion is. And I think we immediately think of gender diversity, for example. I think it's one of the most important topics of our time. I have a little daughter and uh, I look at her and I can't believe that she would not have equal opportunity as a boy would have. So I'm very passionate about it myself, but I probably haven't thought too much about cultural diversity. So could you expand a little bit more on that notion and how uh, we potentially have to look at this differently or not as, say, gender diversity? Mm. So it's a good question because I know that when I was in my roles previously, you know, everyone gets gender diversity that it's like it's important. Everyone has a mother. Many people have, you know, have sisters, wives. And so we recognize that that's something that's important globally. But when it does come to cultural diversity, it's very traditionally been viewed as, as something very local. 
and very much shaped by history and approaches therefore are quite country specific. So I actually think it's not easy to look at it. You know, different countries have many different approaches and how they talk or they think about cultural diversity is different. Take, for example, the US, where they talk very openly about race. In my own home market, I think traditionally we haven't spoken about race as much. We talk a lot about multiculturalism and the need for it, and we celebrate our multiculturalism. But how we actually try to help people of all backgrounds to progress, I think, has not been talked about as much. And I think because we don't talk about it as much and often there is a lot of history in a lot of countries around this, therefore the approaches that we do take to see how we can give everyone equal opportunities when it comes to their backgrounds does need to be thought through differently than the typical approaches that we do use for for gender. Can you give us an example where you came across an organization, you don't have to name it, or any example that you can think of that makes it real for our listeners, where business leaders have potentially not paid attention to that cultural diversity piece and how that changed things in the end? Perhaps I'd like to turn it around and share the experiences of a couple of Asian Australians because that's what I've heard. And I think that's probably shows that in many cases, people of cultural backgrounds often have had to make the changes themselves rather than the organisations change. And so one of the things that I found very interesting in my book was how family shapes how we operate at work. And I think we don't tend to think about the connection between family and work as much. We tend to think about family as this is our family and work is kept separate in many, many places. But For people with Asian backgrounds, one thing I found very fascinating was that they do approach how they behave at work and, and how they interact very much based on their family experiences of what they experience at home. And a lot of it is around collaboration. You know, there are certain Asian norms that people practice in their families. And it's not just the people grow up in Asia or new immigrants. I think there's also patterns even from my own experience as a fourth generation Asian Australian. And so often things like how assertive people are is shaped by those experiences. And so the Asian Australians often had to flex themselves and be a lot more aware of the need to be uncomfortable but try different things in the environment because they at that time felt they needed to assimilate. These were leaders I spoke to probably who became quite senior 15 or 20 years ago when cultural diversity wasn't spoken about as much. But I think these days, people have changed. People want an environment where they belong a lot more. They want to be able to be themselves a lot more. And so I don't think a lot of younger employees are going to be so open to a situation where they have to change to be like the image of those leaders or adopt that identity. They're going to want something that's a little bit more like themselves because it's quite challenging having to act as if you're, you're someone you're not. And so I think the norms have changed. And so I do feel that, you know, rather than employers expecting people to behave in the way they want, I think maybe organizations culturally need to think about how do they change as well to bridge those gaps. Yeah, and we talk a lot about purpose these days and people want to work for purposeful companies. Mm. But I have not thought about this family value system being brought to work. Mm. An excellent point. Thanks for sharing that. Now, considering your personal experience as being a business leader for many, many years, how have things changed over the last decade or so? And what's the work that remains to be done? 
Sometimes when you're involved with initiatives like trying to support greater diversity, we do get quite frustrated. We feel things have not progressed. But I would say if you do look back, things have progressed. You know, most of my career has been in Asia, but obviously I I interact a lot with my other colleagues. And 20 years ago, we really did not even talk about gender diversity much because in many countries like in Singapore, in Thailand, in Taiwan, actually, the gender diversity has been pretty good without programs. And so we sometimes criticize ourselves for not making progress. But it's now very, very topical. Tomorrow, I'm actually going to be at an event where one of the big breakout streams will be about diversity. That's in Singapore. And, you know, that's, I think, a great thing. We're really recognizing that it's important for business and important for boards. I do feel, though, people often think that diversity equals gender and or, you know, that diversity equals other aspects of diversity. It's good that we're supporting women, but are we really supporting everyone? And it's a challenge. So cultural diversity, I think, is an area we we can be better on. And that's part of the reason I I wrote a book. And how has the moral narrative evolved? Do you feel organizations or business leaders, in fact, are changing the ways because they feel a, a moral responsibility to do that? And how can we get more traditional stakeholders involved that maybe haven't paid much attention to this before? I do think organizations need to think more holistically than just the business case. There is a moral obligation. And I think, I hope that with the push for ESG and the fact that people are calling out where there's, say, greenwashing, or sometimes we talk about diversity washing, people actually realize they can't just do things on the surface. It's not about branding. It's actually around doing the right thing by all stakeholders. And so I think it's not easy because. One of the things I talk about in my book is that anxieties play out. I think sometimes when we talk about diversity, people think that they're going to miss out. Someone will feel, oh, someone else will benefit and I'll miss out for a particular reason. And so unfortunately, any change program is quite difficult because you're trying to change things that people have got used to and someone feels they will lose out. But I do think it's important. I think, you know, we have an obligation as board directors or management to do the right thing. And there are risks involved if we don't do it. People want to belong. You have a license to operate as a board or as a company. And so we do have to think more holistically about all those stakeholders and particularly what people think. I do think the narrative is changing. It's more, hopefully, uh, away from just the business case. But it's not easy to change and bring everyone along. But we need to try and talk about these things quite openly in environments of psychological safety where people can feel comfortable rather than feeling threatened if they say something. And I think, unfortunately, that's not easy. Absolutely. So step one really is building this awareness and understanding the issues at hand and adopting a diverse mindset and a diverse perspective. Then obviously, or not obviously, but I would assume the second part is inclusion. At the beginning, when we started to speak, you were giving us a quick definition of terminology. But what role does inclusion play and how do you then actually get to the implementation, if you will? I mean, diversity is important, but unless you have inclusion, it's not going to work. And I think numerous studies have actually found that you need inclusion because, you know, if we all think of who we are, as individuals, we naturally, as people, like to work with people who are like ourselves. And it's more efficient, particularly when we're business leaders, to work with people like ourselves. 
But we know also if we can get the diversity to work, we will actually have better results. And so inclusion is important, really collaborating. But that's not easy. We need to get to know each other on a very personal basis, have that trust with each other. I think sometimes we talk about diversity and inclusion, and, and I hear that the next thing we talk about are quotas and regulations. And I actually feel that's not always the right way to create that environment because people feel it's a rule, it's compliance, it's something that's not right. To me, a lot of it, inclusion is linked to, you know, of course, organizational culture and all, you know, cultures are all around both performance and people. So getting that balance is really important. And I think, you know, that's something directors all need to think about, not just, oh, I need to comply and put a board director on who is female or another thing. It's really around that inclusive culture and really trying to make sure I feel that the purpose, the values, and really the lived behaviors of the people in the organizations are what you want. And you were beating me to it, just speaking about directors. I wanted to take the opportunity to have a quick look at the top level of an organization. So we here at the Sustainability Board Report, we're fascinated about ESG prepared boards and how future ready are boards. So let's just stay with that terminology. What makes a future ready board for you? Three things. The first thing, and I think I'm probably speaking to a lot of people who are already doing this, but it's really around that stakeholder view. And a lot of companies, you know, historically, of course, looked at trying to support shareholders above other stakeholders. But I think a future ready board for me is something, a board that has a very clear purpose. They understand their values. And then it goes down to the lived behaviors and making sure that that culture is the right culture that actually is supportive of everyone throughout the organization. And so that's how I, in my own mind, align diversity and inclusion back to what why is important because, you know, culture is such an important part of organizations. Secondly, I think it's important to balance performance and conformance as directors. I love using the analogy of driving a car and hopefully the car goes forward, not backwards. We need to look all over the windows, be conscious of what's happening not just look out the front window, not just look out the back window or the side mirrors. So I think we have a, a role to try and balance this out. Finally, I think, you know, companies are only as good as the people in them. And companies or organizations are collections of people. And so we as future boards really need to think about the environment we're creating in the boardroom, as well as in our teams. And so really, I think getting the dynamics right in the boardroom is important. I think that's been my biggest learning as a director. It's not just who you have in the room. It's about making sure that you have that right environment, that you actually respect each other. And of course, you know, the chair plays such an important there to help to orchestrate what's happening. That's all not easy. You know, we're all trying to be better directors, but they're some of the things I think are really important. Fantastic. This might have been one of the best summaries or synopsis that I've heard so far, Karen. And unfortunately, we're almost at time. So I want to get to our listeners' favorite part of the podcast. And we have two questions prepared that we're asking all our guests. And the first one is, what is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a big impact on yourself or society at large? This was an interesting question for me. Uh, so the person that I think had a big influence on um, me as a leader and was very forward thinking was a gentleman called Frank Brown. Uh, Frank was previously PwC's global advisory leader and he actually then became the dean of INSEAD for a period of time. Uh, and so when I was a very young partner, 
I was very fortunate that he was forward thinking about putting people on a development program who were not normally considered. He actually believed diversity was important. And so he insisted that the people below him would nominate candidates who were not the typical candidates. And I'm female, I'm Asian, I actually worked in financial services. And to be fair, I would never have been nominated for this program unless it was for him. So I got a chance to work on it. But one of the things I think was most interesting is that he was forward-looking at the time and PwC didn't have any global leaders on the top team who were female. And so he said, look, I want you or one of the groups, which was my subgroup, to work on a project that was actually to look at why diversity and inclusion was important for my firm. And that was very forward-thinking. It was in about 2004. So we pulled a group of us together from all around the world, you know, why was it important for the business? Why was it important for our people? And we had an opportunity to present to our global advisory leadership team. I think that was great. And and one of the amazing things is that many of those attendees, female or different backgrounds, are in global roles or in national roles now in their firms. I think that was a great example of someone who actually was very forward-looking, but also was able to, you know, pay it forward in a way and help to give people opportunities who never would have had those opportunities something or, or give those opportunities to people that, that wouldn't have got it like me. Great shout out. A leader very much ahead of time, it sounds like. Mm. And lastly, can you give our listeners one piece of advice that they can make part of their leadership toolkit and to start applying today to set them up for more positive impact? One of the biggest things I learned from my recent studies at INSEAD, which I didn't realize before, was that you as an individual can be an instrument of change. Sometimes I think as individuals, we think we can't do something, but actually you can. Um, but I think it does require you to really also understand yourself. So putting a mirror to yourself and also being open to get feedback from, from people. For those people who sometimes say, oh, I can't change things or I can't do something, Actually, I think you can. You just need to try and find ways and means to do that. Fostering culturally diverse leadership in organizations. Lessons from those who smashed the bamboo ceiling. Karen Loon's book out now. Karen, thank you very much for taking the time today. Just very lastly, where can we get the book? I think you mentioned Amazon. Yes, you can also buy it at many other online stores. Google me and find my website. I think you'll find the links there. Karen, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org, and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description.